Welcome to the LTC University Podcast, empowering and educating across the great state of South Carolina. Here we go. My name is Jamie Preston, and I'm your host today, and we have a very special guest and a very intriguing topic this morning. We're talking about diversity and inclusion with the chief diversity officer from Agape Hospice, Ronnie Duncan. He's been at Agape Hospice for about seven years. He's also a counselor and he is also a chaplain. So he has a very unique perspective on many different things about hospice care. And Ronnie is an expert in diversity and inclusion. And uh, we're excited to have him. Welcome, Ronnie. Thank you. For those that may not understand and may not know the terminology, it's it's really kind of becoming a uh, kind of a new thing that people are in businesses and organizations are starting to invest in. Tell me what diversity inclusion really is, the kind of the definition of it. The definition of diversity and inclusion um, is kind of two separate definitions, if you will, um, but they kind of work together. uh, They kind of stack up with each other. So when you're talking about diversity, you're talking about a diverse or a uh, conglomerate of uh, different areas, um, uh, different things that are coming together for one particular cause. When you talk about inclusion, you're talking about finding ways that all of those things that you have identified can be utilized uh, in a particular um, uh, in a particular situation or circumstance. Yeah. So what's the difference between diversity and inclusion? How would you define each of those? Well, it's real easy. I mean, you can walk down the street and very quickly look how diverse uh, our streets are or how diverse a company or an organization is. Uh, And then uh, sometimes there's not always room for those individuals in that particular uh, space. So where the word inclusion comes in at is you're finding opportunities for all of those diverse people, uh, those diverse uh, circumstances or skill sets to be utilized to perform or carry out a specific uh, goal or plan. And I think it's so important. How how has that been fleshing out um, at Agape Hospice, and how are you guys, what's some of the things that you've been doing to make that happen? Well, it's ironic how it's uh, how it uh, fleshed itself out. Um, we were actually on the phone with Teresa Eunice one day, um, the leaders, uh, set of leaders, and we were talking about diversity, and kind of one of the conversations came up was um, we, are, as a company, haven't really been uh, as diligent as we possibly could about diversity, and she immediately stopped the conversation and said, no, we are definitely committed to diversity. Um, and so we kind of, you know, joked about it a little bit, and uh, it was probably about a week or so later or a couple of weeks later, she came back on that same call, and she said, okay, um, since you guys have decided that we're not doing enough, she says, now, Ronnie, you're going to be that guy who's going to help us uh, get to that place. Uh, it was a, um, it was a, a, a somewhat, in, honestly, it was somewhat of an intimidating um, um, challenge, um, but I did take on the challenge because I knew that I had her support. Um, not only did I have her support, that I also had Scott Middleton's support, who has um, been a champion in this process also. So we set out to just find out one, um, because I didn't come from the world of diversity and inclusion, so I had to real quickly um, engage myself with other uh, diversity practitioners uh, around the state and just have them mentor me and, and 
coached me to that place where I needed to be, and and that did happen. I, I do have a mentor, Miss um, Cynthia Walters, uh, who was a champion in helping me not only get connected to other practitioners, but also uh, teaching me about the world of diversity and inclusion and the work of diversity and inclusion. And so one of the things that she immediately told me, she says, this is not a marathon. If your organization is going to be uh, serious about this work, you're going to have to realize that it's going to take a lifetime. It's not something that's just going to happen overnight. Um, she immediately told me that in her organization that it took them three years just to get the first plan off the ground simply because it wasn't that management or leadership was not involved. It was just changing the mindsets of the people in the company or the organization where she worked. And I'm now starting to realize it is taking that long um, to work it. But I do now, uh, by being in this about two years now, have found that the organization um, is starting to get the, the concept of not only diversity, but making room for them. So you say, what have I done? Or what, we, what have we done? Um, one of the things that we did was we wrote a policy. Uh, we redid our policy and procedures manual when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And some would say, well, shouldn't you have already had that? Yes, we had that when it comes to harassments and other things that were uh, in the policy. But we made it a little more specific when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Um, some would immediately think when you talk about diversity and inclusion, um, race, when you talk about diversity. Um, but we, we broaden that scale beyond just race. And we have done some serious things um, here, and we continue to do some serious things. And so um, one of the things that we have um, done, which is called the BRE, which is um, a business resource group, we have uh, two separate groups going on right now, uh, and they're pilot groups, but it's just getting our workforce involved in the process. Um, one of the things that I had an opportunity to do was talk to not only the leaders, but talk to our workforce and letting them know this is not a me off uh, uh, effort. This is going to be a us effort. Um, I just happen to be the one who's in the seat of, of helping um, orchestrate this process. So we do have a uh, LGBT community um, resource group uh, where uh, those folks who have identified themselves in the LGBTQ community uh, have come together and have put together a plan. Uh, they have not only a plan, but they have a group of people that meet. Uh, it's on it's on their terms. So we, uh, in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, we ask them to meet at least once, report back to the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, and, and letting us know what they are planning to do, desire to do. Um, for that particular group, uh, and with all of our groups, really, we have two different um, uh, checkpoints, if you will. That is to uh, educate. Um, the general public, if you will, um, on your cause or your particular area of interest, and then also find out ways to recruit, I guess there are three, uh, find out ways to recruit and then find out ways to um, get support uh, for what you're um, involved in. The other group we have is called GAP, which is uh, something that I've coined called the Generational Appreciation of Personalities. And with that being said, what we have set in place is the opportunity for multiple generations to come together because as we look at our workforce throughout uh, our society, uh, we realize that um, we are coming up on where you're going to have about five different generations that are going to be in the workforce. I think right now I have actually identified four 
of our um, four generations within our organizations. And what we have asked them to do is come together, learn how to communicate, and then how to solve problems together. Um, because you're going to have different people looking at different scenarios uh, based on their generational understanding. And so those two um, organizations, BREs, have decided to um, take on the challenge. And it's, it's, it's been fun. It's been real fun. Yeah, because people automatically go to, you know, they go to race when they think of diversity. They don't think about the generational. And, and the, the thing that, uh, that really sticks out to me is we need to learn from that older generation. We need to, you know, companies, they want to be fast. They want to move quick. Um, they want to be, you know, innovative. And that's great. And that's all wonderful. But we can't forget about those because they have so much wisdom, so many things that we need to learn from and that we need to have. And it needs to be part of who we are as well, just as important as new um uh, innovations and things just as important. I think one of the things that's really cool that I've seen uh, and I've heard a couple times is that organizations that put diversity and make it a, make it a priority, they make more money. I mean, we're not, it's not about money, but they do. It's, it's the natural benefit of it. And it just happens. Other companies, that's what really speaks to their leadership, um, is money and, and, that's a byproduct of this. It shouldn't be the reason, but it's okay, you know, um, that that happens. So why do you believe that is? Well, I think one of the um, clear understandings uh, about business is that you have to realize that there are uh, a few uh, criteria. Uh, one of those is making money, saving money, and investing money. And one of the things that our um, leadership has done is figured out a way to make money. They figured out a way to invest money and they figured out a way to save money so that we can be in business. Again, it's not about business. Uh, it's not about the money per se, but in our society, you do have to have that capital to um, do certain things. Uh, I think one of the things that causes companies to uh, grasp that process is, or not grasp that process, is when a company really engages and fully takes on that process of in, uh, of diversity and inclusion, it brings up the bottom line. It brings that place where uh, the per capita of individuals that they have to invest or have to uh, put in put towards an, uh, put towards a product or a service, it puts them at a place where they can't participate. Um, and the more people you have participating in something that you do, again, whether it be uh, product or service, it just gives them an opportunity to fulfill their uh, ending goal. And so um, when you have big companies who uh, identify that, and not only identify that, but then utilize that to the, to the advantage, not only for themselves, but advantage for the consumer or those who are partaking in the product or service, it just enhances the whole quality of what's, what's happening. At, at the end of the day, it's about meeting the needs of the people. And if you are withholding from diversity and inclusion simply because of whatever you may be your, you know, your barriers, um, you are literally writing yourself out of um, financial gain, if you will. But you're also writing yourself out of the character and the concept of um, inclusiveness, really what it means to be. Uh, and again, everything is not going to be for everybody. Uh, I think really, for me, the bottom line it, you know, money is a byproduct. 
if you really have a good service or a good um, product, then people will invest in that or people will see uh, the necessaries to 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 be uh, partakers of what you bring to the table. Uh, and they will do it financially and they will do it with their energy. Um, so it's really a byproduct of the whole process of money. But again, we do need that capital just to function. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. And um, the thing that I love the most, it's just the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do to make sure that people are included. And here's the deal. We get perspectives that we would not have if we didn't do this. We get so many different diverse perspectives, whether that be an African-American perspective or a white perspective, a Hispanic perspective. We get that because we're able to listen and hear from those people. And I think one of the things that I think is really important is to see for every single person at the table, um, every culture, every um, race, every gender, everything they can see somebody that looks like them in a leadership position. I think that is so important. Talk about that a little bit, about seeing that for yourself from your own vantage point, being able to see those kind of people that look like you in those positions. Well, I think you used the word correctly. We're intentional about this process. Um, when I when I took upon this work and I went out to see who else in the state was doing something, and trying to figure out where my lane was, if you will, um, I, I realized that in talking to other practitioners of diversity and inclusion, that it was going to be a long work and it was going to be something that um, needed to be uh, intentional and it needed not only to be uh, substance, but it needed to have some form of value to it. And so, you know, when I started with Agape Hospice uh, seven years ago, uh, I started out as a part time chaplain. And, you know, because of, of my, my dedication to uh, the work that I was doing, um, leadership at that, point, at that point saw that it was um, feasible to allow me to do something else. And so I became a full-time chaplain. And just because uh, my work ethics, I just continued to prove myself and do the work that I needed to do. And I went from there to grief work. Um, and from there to becoming the lead supervisor in uh, our grief department, and then now chief diversity officer. So, um, but to be honest with you, it, there was no one in 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 my path um, that did look like me. That was that person who was uh, seen as someone who had the leadership. It wasn't that leadership was bad. It wasn't that leadership was um, was not intentional. It was that um, there are a lot of scenarios. Um, when you look at an organization, you have to ask yourself, um, what's the possibilities of me becoming uh, or going to a greater level? And sometimes it has to be someone willing to just do the necessary work and then being recognized for that work. And I think that's the place where I have gotten to is I was able to do the work. I didn't ask them to give me a position because I was African-American. I actually did the work and, and proved myself in such a position that I was capable of doing. Again, like you said, we, we are not 100 percent and or is any other company. But I think we have become intentional about recognizing who brings what to the table. Um, we have coaching opportunities. We do that also within our um, diversity and inclusion. We make sure that we coach those who are in those groups. We make sure that we coach 
the, the work staff, the workflow um, workforce, and make sure that we uh, are constantly being intentional about our process. And so I think, you know, uh, especially when it comes to healthcare, let me, I guess I need to say this, especially when it comes to healthcare, um, we as African Americans have not necessarily um, uh, seen a, a place where we can go. And just by being able to be in this company and them recognizing uh, the skill set and the, the, the passion that I bring to the table um, makes me feel good about the place that I'm at and the people that I work for and work with on a day to day basis because not only are they looking at um, what the industry or what healthcare is going to, but they're looking at the, the, the people that work for them and putting the best pieces and the best people in place so that they can get the best outcome. Because one thing we do know is healthcare doesn't have, uh, is, is not about gender, all get sick. It's not about race, all get sick. So it, it's just a matter of putting the right people in place and, and our company has figured out a way to be intentional about that. And I have uh, found a way to attack, uh, attach myself with those uh, other practitioners around the state and just bounce ideas off of them and keeping up with uh, metrics and keeping up with uh, opportunities. And sometimes, you know, within an organization, especially when you're starting, you don't really want to know the matrix. You don't, really, you don't know the metrics of where you uh, are falling short. And I think that one of, uh, one of our things here is we have taken that on as a challenge because we know that without knowing where we are, where we stand, um, it makes it difficult to know where we're going to go. Yeah, and I think I think it's awesome that we're able to look, sit back, and say, and be honest with ourselves, and say, this is where we are, but this is where we want to go, and this is where how we're going to get there. And within our orientation, we um, speak to diversity and inclusion as quickly um, to the new hires as we possibly can, letting them know, as a company, um, and me as the uh, working in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, what that actually means and what they can anticipate uh, and, and look for. And so within the um, process of that, one of the things that I do, well, one of the activities that I do um, comes with, it, it started out as the four Ds, and then I just added another one recently. But the four Ds are, um, it's a progressive process leading up to something uh, that could be very, very negative in, in the light of it. And so one of the things is being devalued. I think, I think a lot of times um, when you're talking about diversity and inclusion, uh, it's not so very uh, overt. It's not so very um, clear cut. But sometimes people, people can just be devalued. Uh, but that's not discrimination. I can devalue you and really not, and meaning that I don't really see the value that you bring to this project or this uh, particular issue. Um, the other one is being disrespected. Um, when you get to the place where you are um, disrespected, again, it's not necessarily discrimination. Um, but then you have the word called disenfranchise which means that I leave you out of an opportunity that could be available to you. Um, now, that, when you get to that, that's probably a little more closer to the word dis, um, um, uh, discrimination. But discrimination simply means that I, I have looked at you, I have completely um, taken you out of the equation and not even um, considered you. But if I am putting you in a place where I have... Um, found you to be, uh, I have discriminated against you. I have disrespected you. I have disenfranchised you. I have uh, devalued your 
uh, abilities and what you bring to the table. But then one of the things I think that's in, in our society that we don't realize that is kind of the catalyst to all of this is called microaggression. It's those things that you're talking about. It's those things where you do make stereotypes about people, ethnicities. You make different stereotypes about people's sexualities. And when you do that, it, it seems innocent because of the people that you're talking to, but the reality of it is there's probably somebody in the room that is offended by that. And especially in our society, I think we have been um, hyped into, we have a hyperactive society now when it comes to diversity and those buzzwords. Um, everybody wants to um, say where they have been offended. Um, you know, and, and when you look in that, when you look into that situation, you have to ask yourself, um, have I actually really been offended or have I just been devalued because I, I really don't really I don't really bring anything to the table or I don't really have anything. But again, if you are discriminated against, meaning based on your sexuality, based on your race, based on your religion, based on those, you know, there are nine different things that you um, are, are that categorizes this. When you do that, you automatically disrespect an individual, you disenfranchise an individual, and you devalue an individual. But again, I can, you know, I can devalue you, but not be discriminated towards you. And I think that's a lot of times where we have to um, really value. And I think that's one of the things that we're looking at within our company is to make sure that there's no there's no gray area. If it's any any um, any signs of discrimination, we address that very quickly. Uh, I have been on many discussions um, with leadership when there was a uh, questionable of of um, discrimination, and we've addressed it real quickly. It's not something that you try to sweep under the rug because it only gets bigger. And I think that with our leadership, they have acknowledged it. They've brought it to the Office of Diversity and Inclusion and asked for how do we fix this? How do we address this? You know, and there's like you said, there are some things that you can't fix. You just have to at least address it and get to the point where, um, you know, you, you make room for, you know, for improvement later on. Other companies that are out there and they're interested in saying, hey, you know, we want to do the right thing. We want to make sure that we have diversity in our company. We want to make sure that we're putting the right people in positions to reflect what the culture is. What would you tell a company, an organization, another hospice company, what would you tell them if they're interested in starting you know, a diversity, diversity and inclusion program? Uh, I would say start it. Just, just start it. I mean, look at, look at where you are. Um, determine where you uh, want to go. And if you don't have an, a clear understanding, find someone from the outside who can help mentor you or coach you into that, you know, that position. With, uh, with that being said, um, I've had the opportunity to be on the uh, South Carolina Chamber of Commerce Diversity Committee. So that means that I have an opportunity to travel the state and meet with different businesses just because I'm in this role here at Agape Hospice, I've also now connected myself with the Chamber of Commerce and, and looking and helping other companies address this issue. Um, I, I've had the opportunity just just recently um, to talk with the Chamber uh, in, in our state, and, and we're going to connect, and I'm going to be able to go out and help them um, look at their diversity program. And so it's just a matter of, of, of starting it. Um, sometimes starting it just means pulling people to the table and say, how how do we stand when it comes to diversity and inclusion? Are we taking a proactive approach to diversity and inclusion? Um, 
do you think we have a diversity and inclusion issue? You know, and, and really just taking a, a deep dive into, you know, the definitions uh, of diversity and inclusion and just asking where you are. And again, if it's not where you want it to be or you don't know where it needs to be, bring someone in. I mean, bring someone in. And, you know, myself, I, I'm definitely just by being on the Chamber Diversity um, Committee, I'm committed to helping other organizations as we continue to build our, you know, our program within diversity and inclusion. Uh, I'm willing to help other companies build their program also. Yeah, it's never too early to start. And I don't think it's ever too late to start. And uh, I think if they want help, uh, they can they can find that help and find the resources that they need. Ronnie, thank you so much for for being a part of this. And thank you so much for what you do and, and how you do it and the grace and the humbleness. I think it's, it's really commendable. I, I know you personally. We're friends. And uh, I love your spirit. I love the way you do things. I love the way you speak. I love your honesty. And I think that's what it takes is honesty in this whole thing, uh, to just be honest. Where are we at? Where do we need to go? Thank you so much for all you do for Agape Hospice and our, and our society and, and, and South Carolina. It's, it's commendable. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, Jamie, for having me. We have a few things coming up that we want you to be aware of. The first thing is our social worker drive-in symposiums. We have two opportunities for all you social workers to take advantage of. The first symposium will be in the upstate in Spartanburg, South Carolina on September 12th. Registration will begin at 9.30 a.m. at New Hope Christian Church in Spartanburg and will conclude at 3.30 p.m. that day. The second social worker drive-in symposium will be in Beaufort, South Carolina on September 26th from 9.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. The symposium will be at the Baptist Church of Beaufort in the social hall directly across the street from the church. At both of these symposiums, social workers will be able to earn up to five CEU credits, all for the low price of $50 per person, and this includes lunch. To register, you can go to www.ltchs.com forward slash LTCU. We encourage you to get registered right away for this great symposium. If you have questions or need more information, please email Susan Lutheran at S-L-U-T-H-R-E-N at ltchs.com. The second thing we want to tell you about is our Community Leadership Assembly. This happens on the first Monday of the month in Columbia, South Carolina at 1626 Main Street from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. You will be inspired and learn from great teachers while getting to network with people from all over South Carolina. LTC administrators and social workers can earn up to three CEU credits at this event. You don't want to miss it. The only cost for this event is $10 and that includes lunch. So we want to see you there. Thanks so much for listening today and let's keep learning.